0: Well, raising financial support for gospel ministry is a, is a delicate business. Um, in the country where I was living before, here in the States, sadly there have been many men who've uh, been steadily fleecing the flock and the gullible through healing crusades as they themselves stay in luxurious hotels and uh, fly around in their personal jets and we are sort of sensitive to uh, that sort of abuse of funds that can happen and yet the truth is is that most uh, involved in gospel ministry labor on really well below the support levels that um, agencies suggest that they need that's the reality Uh, for people who serve in mission organizations or, or involved in gospel ministry in some way, there is a real need for financial support to do those ministries and, and yet, how do you get that balance as you as you talk with those who support you between um, thankfulness uh, and and yet um, bringing before them that there are perhaps other needs how do you go about doing that without sounding as if you're just grasping for more how do you relate to donors with integrity so that they don't feel that your interest in care in them is solely because you they're receiving support how should we think about giving and receiving as christians engage in gospel partnership well at the end of the uh, of the letter to the philippians we have an amazing resource i believe to guide us as we think about this subject So please open your Bibles to page 1181. 1181 in these church Bibles, 1181, that's Philippians chapter 4. And if I haven't grabbed your attention enough this morning, then please notice as we read, this section tells us the secret of contentment. So look out for it, the secret of contentment this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verses 10. 23 I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me indeed you have been concerned but you had no opportunity to show it i'm not saying this because i am in need for i've learned to be content whatever the circumstances i know what it is to be in need and i know what it is to have plenty I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Yet, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia... Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid again and again when I was in need. Not that I am looking for a gift, but I'm looking for what may be credited to your account. I've received full payment and even more. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus to our God and father be glory forever and ever amen greet all the saints in Christ Jesus the brothers who are with me send greetings all the saints send you greetings especially those who belong to Caesar's household the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit amen this is god's word so here is this thank you letter from the apostle paul to the church in philippi they'd sent one of their own epaphroditus with gifts to support paul who was in prison for talking about jesus the apostle had taken the time to address some of the issues that were going on in the church no doubt he'd heard those from epaphroditus himself And so as he closes his letter, he finishes to express his appreciation for their support. Their ongoing support meant so much to Paul. It was a cause of great joy, but not in the way we might imagine. He was rejoicing, not because his needs were getting met, but because their giving was a continued expression of gospel partnership. And I got two points this morning. Firstly, rejoicing in their gospel partnership, verses 10 to 16. Rejoicing in their gospel partnership. Look at verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. The moment when Epaphroditus sort of uh, walked into Paul's prison cell, it was a source of great rejoicing. Paul knew how to rejoice in prison. He was a man who could sing even after being beaten and put in the, in the stocks and thrown into prison. And when Epaphroditus turned up, sent by the Christians in Philippi, Paul was praising the Lord Jesus. Now why was he praising the Lord Jesus? It was not because they finally remembered him. In the NIV translation of verse 10, it could sound like Paul was a bit ticked off, couldn't it? Um, that it took him so long. At last, you've renewed your concern for me at last no it's not like that as he goes on to say in the recent past they just had no opportunity Uh, PT O'Brien in his commentary translates verse 10 in this way I rejoice greatly in the Lord because your thoughtful concern for me has flourished again there was no doubt about their deep concern for Paul there's no doubt about the deep connection Uh, of love and support between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi. As it says in verse 15 and 16, from the first time that they heard and responded to the gospel, they backed Paul's ministry. Uh, They backed him with prayer. They backed him with finance. And as he went off to preach the gospel in other cities, to plant churches in other places, they continued time and time again to, to give him financial support. And this was a church that wasn't that well off. It wasn't that rich, uh, according to the letter of 2 Corinthians. And yet, out of their poverty, they kept giving uh, to support the Apostle Paul. In fact, they gave to support uh, the, the, the Jerusalem church when it was experiencing great time of famine, to relieve the poverty there. And in the early days, they were the only ones to support Paul in this way. And once again, their thoughtful concern had flourished, like a spring bud turning once more into a stunning flower. Isn't it exciting to see the buds just... just about to go. I'm excited about that. Well, Paul says, Your, 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 your Epaphroditus turned it with a gift. It was just another flourishing of your amazing love and care for me. And he's rejoicing in the Lord. Now, he's not rejoicing because they finally remembered him. And he's not praising the Lord Jesus because his needs were being met. He makes that point in verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now this is surely an incredible statement to make. An incredible thing for us to consider this morning. I think many of us struggle with contentment. We're surrounded, I think, by advertising that seems to encourage discontentment. That car that served you well for the last 10 years, it doesn't have the latest thing the latest feature that would actually fill your life with joy if you had the new version of that car that did that amazing thing with your phone and your sound system and with the fuel mileage that if oh, yeah your car served you well but if you had that car oh ho, ho then you could be truly happy oh my car's not very good this week, Apple launched a new product, the iPad. The iPad. We've run out of iThings, surely. How many iThings can we have? An iPad. I thought it was a piece of paper. No, they've given us an iPad. And, and they're going to try and encourage tech lovers like me to think, actually, my life would be complete if I had the iPad. I've got the MacBook. I've got the iPhone. But I need the iPad. And of course, you know, if I buy that iPad, if we buy that, in a year's time, they're going to bring out iPad 2. And iPad 2 is going to be quicker, cheaper, and cooler in every way. And so my iPad, I'm going to look at it, I'm going to love it this year, and then the iPad 2 comes and I think, this is rubbish. I'm so miserable. If I had the iPad 2. Isn't that how advertising works? That's 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 how that's the environment that we breathe. We hardly think about it. Same for cars, washing machines, our houses even. You know, it's great to have a dishwasher, but what you need is two dishwashers. <laughs> See what do you do when one is full up? That's when you need the second dishwasher. Isn't it? That's how it works. And we can get into a way of thinking that our happiness and our contentment would be achieved if we only changed our circumstances. Now, this is so deeply ingrained to us that we really do believe this. Everything would be great if we just changed our circumstances. If only we could get married. Um, If only we could change our spouse. (laughs) If only we could go on holiday if only we could go on a better holiday if only we could increase our salary if only we could change our body discontentment is a big issue for people today and so look with me and marvel with me that here is the Apostle he's in a Roman prison not a nice place to be uh, we, our prisons are much more civilized in Britain than, than he would have experienced And he's getting a gift that that provides for some of his needs. And he says, I rejoice greatly, but not because you've met my need. For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Really, Paul? Yes. Verse 12. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He'd experienced the extremes of circumstances, and over time, he'd learned how to be content. I take great encouragement from that. He had learned contentment. It didn't start off that way. He'd learned contentment. Here he is in prison, tough circumstances. But they've not removed his desire to rejoice in the Lord. They've not made him discontent. He's found a way to be content even in that circumstance. Now, I don't know about you, but I wrestle with contentment. I, at times, I find it hard not to daydream how things would only be better if... dot dot, dot. Well, Paul had learned the secret of contentment. What is it? It's there in verse 13. I can do everything... Through him who gives me strength. His contentment comes through his dependence upon Christ. Now this is an often misused verse from the Bible. Uh, in America, I kept going to events where this verse was plucked out. And uh, you could get rubber bands with you know Philippians 4.13 on it and, it. and it's made out to be like the Superman verse. This is a verse that promises if you're a Christian, you can do it anything it is the verse that's put on pictures of 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 guys climbing over overhanging glaciers with nothing but ice picks and the verse above it i can do everything through who gives me strength superman Uh, evander holyfield uh he loved this verse in fact the boxer heavyweight champion he made a belt with philippians 4 13 on this One of my favorite quotes after he defeated Mike Tyson to win the heavyweight championship, he pointed to that verse and he said, you know, I just want to praise God. He filled me with his Holy Spirit and I just did what I feel led to do. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Now, just in case you switch off quickly, that's not what the verse is about. This verse would not help Andy Murray right now, whatever the score is. It's, it's, you're not going to be able to take Roger Federer on just because you quote this verse. The everything is not a promise to be a superhero. The everything of verse 13 is linked back to verse 12 the learning to be content in any and every situation, whether in need or in plenty. Paul can cope with both. He can be content, whatever his circumstances, not because he's got such amazing inner resources. It's not because he's got such a positive mental attitude that he refuses to get down. It's because he looks to the strengthening power and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. His sense of sufficiency to face his daily circumstances, whatever they are, comes uh, because he looks to the powerful Christ who makes him sufficient. Now, I don't know whether you've been in a situation that leaves you feeling overwhelmed, totally overwhelmed. And as you look into the future, um, it looks bleak and it looks hopeless because you don't have the inner resources to face your situation day after day. The secret of coping for a Christian is not to think happy thoughts. It's not to sing cheery songs like, you know, the sun will come out tomorrow. Lots of perky thoughts like that. No, the Apostle Paul says the secret he has learnt is day by day in those circumstances to look to Jesus Christ and in prayer seek his strength for the challenges of that day. And then when tomorrow comes, to get up again and seek his grace for the challenges of that day. That's what the Lord Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount, didn't he? Don't worry, he says, what. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And that's what the Apostle Paul has just written to them in Philippi. Look back at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That was the secret that he'd learned in life. He was content through dependence upon Christ. In fact, God, in his fatherly wisdom, puts us into difficult circumstances so that we'll learn to rely on him the apostle paul in the letter of 2 corinthians he writes this we don't want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of asia we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life he he knew what it was to despair even of life it was a situation way beyond his ability to endure hard-pressed verse 9 indeed in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but this happened that we might rely that we might not rely on ourselves but on god who raises the dead god in his fatherly kindness and mercy may put us in those very circumstances of despair that we may not rely on ourselves so that we will lean in on him So Paul's not rejoicing that they finally remembered him. He's not rejoicing because they'd met his needs. So why is he rejoicing? Why is he rejoicing? Well, it's because of their gospel partnership. Verse 14. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Under that word share, uh, in the original language, is is the partnership word, the fellowship word. It's the same idea that he started his letter with. Just turn back to chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, 3 to 6 there. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. See, their work, their prayers, their financial support of Paul, their backing of him was a backing of his gospel, which was evidence of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It was evidence of their love of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they showed over and over again that they were the real deal. They were the genuine article. They were really saved that they were disciples of the Lord Jesus, that God was really at work in their lives through these tangible ways. And, And that's why he's rejoicing in the Lord. He's rejoicing greatly in the Lord. Because these are evidences that God is really at work. The Lord Jesus is really at work in their lives. It wasn't so much the gift, but the spiritual vitality of their faith in Jesus that the gift represented that was exciting to Paul, which caused the joy see we can say that we believe things but actually what we do shows what we really believe we show we really believe what we believe by the things that we do the way we spend our time the way we spend our finances the way we use our energy and there's Epaphroditus standing before him I guess Paul is just finishing up the letter. It's soon to go back into his hand, and uh, Epaphroditus will go back to the Philippian church. And Paul looks at him and sees a man who's risked his life uh, to, to be an expression of love and care from the Philippian church. And here is a very tangible sign of their gospel partnership and that God's at work. He brought their gifts of money. What a joy to have such gospel partners. And I want to say thank you for your generosity to the relief of uh, people in Haiti. I, I was so, that was amazing that you gave so much money to that. Can I say thank you for your support of this church that enables pastors and the staff team, uh, both here and in Nidri, to be engaged in gospel ministry. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for giving your money to support this gospel work thank you that you give so generously to missions I'm going to think about missions tonight the sending out ministry thank you that you so faithfully give thank you that you pray through the online I want to say that these practical things should be cause for rejoicing in the Lord they are evidence tangibly that God is at work here in this church They're tangible fruits of the righteousness of Christ being worked out in our lives. The tangible proof that there's something real going on here. And I want to say thank you and thank the Lord that this is going on. It's a cause for great rejoicing. And Paul wanted the Philippians to know that this act of giving money was not just a big deal to him. This is something that is noticed by God. And secondly this morning, just to notice from verse 17 to 23, this assurance of God's pleasure and provision. He assures them of God's pleasure and provision. Look at the language he uses to describe how God views their gifts. Uh, In verse 18, at the end of verse 18. They are a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. When he calls it a fragrant offering, he's using the language of the Old Testament when the burnt offering produced kind of a sumptuous roast-like aroma rising up to God. And, and, and using this sort of this um, anthropomorphic language in the, in the Old Testament, God smells it and it, it delights him anthropomorphic That was a big word. Where did that come from? That wasn't even in my notes. I couldn't say Namibia. I did. There we are. But, there we are. but Paul, Paul takes that language, that Old Testament language. Of course, you know, God doesn't really smell the aroma of burnt offerings, nor is he impressed with people going through the motions of sacrifice. What God delights in is the heart attitude and response of people as they approach him in worship. And Paul takes that Old Testament language of God's delight in sacrifices properly offered and he says that, well, that is the delight and the pleasure of God when we sacrificially give our money as gospel partners. Giving of our money is something when we do it in thanksgiving as an offering of worship is something that God delights in. He takes pleasure in it. When we sacrificially give in that way. Because worship today, because the Lord Jesus has come, is not about animal sacrifices, it's about the whole life response to the gospel. Romans twelve one, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And so that boils down to our diaries. The way we invest our time, that boils down to how we use our checkbook, how we use the, uh, the giving of our money. This is something that pleases him when we invest in gospel partnership to see gospel advance. As I close this morning, I want us to see finally that Paul also gives them the assurance of God's provision to meet their needs even as they give. Look at verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't think this is a kind of a prosperity verse. It's not like, give now and you'll get the bonus later. It's not, uh, he's going to give us all that we want, but he will meet all our needs. And I think this verse is is not just about money. It's a verse that sort of speaking about the whole letter. See, as we engage in gospel partnership of putting ourselves out so that the gospel would advance, here's a great promise of God's sustaining grace. Now think about this book of Philippians that we've been studying now for many months. We've been urged to live lives worthy of the gospel. We've been urged to strive side by side for the sake of the gospel, even in the face of opposition. We've been urged to uh, to, to give ourselves humbly, to each other, to, to serve in a united way without grumbling as blameless children of God in a crooked world. Uh, we've been urged to avoid false teaching uh, that thinks that we achieve anything before God by our, uh, we merit anything by um, the way we live. No, it's all of God's grace. He's done it for us in Christ. He's urged us to not duck out from suffering by following a pathway of least resistance, and, and, and then we need to keep pressing on as we head to heaven. And then Paul finishes with this amazing verse, this statement of great confidence that God himself will meet all the needs that this enterprise requires. And as you've read through the book of Philippians, you think, I mean, Paul is rem- amazing. I just can't, I, we just can't live like that. This is just too hard. This is beyond us. Well, yes, indeed, I I believe it is beyond us. But Paul's confidence here is that God will meet our needs as we pursue this glorious agenda of gospel partnership. He will meet our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Are those resources sufficient? As we think about our work as a church together, gospel partnership, are the resources of Christ sufficient for us? In the letter to the Colossians, the Lord Jesus is described in this way For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or authorities. Through Christ, he created planet Earth, the solar system, the Milky Way, the countless millions of galaxies. Through Christ, he did that. All things were created through him and for him. I don't know how you determine wealth or riches, but if you uh, created everything and it was all created for you, by any measure, Jesus is the one who possesses all wealth and riches. His resources are sufficient, are they not? God will meet all our needs. So we should not fear as we seek to take uh, the gospel forward together as partners in the work of the gospel. As we engage in the spread of the gospel, we can use our time and our energy and our money and our resources and pour them into this For his glory, because he has more than enough sufficiency to supply our needs out of the glorious riches of his Son. As verse 23 finishes, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ will be with their spirits. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Thank you for putting us here in this church. Thank you for uh, putting in our hearts a desire to worship you, to love you, to serve you through this glorious gospel that we have believed about your son. And Father, we come to you knowing that we get distracted so often that we struggle with contentment and we seek your grace today to push on through whatever challenges are before us this day and father we look to you and we thank you for this amazing promise this check that you call on us to to rely upon that we would look to you to meet our needs to be a gospel church that would make a difference in this city so father we We pray to you, our God and Father, that glory would be yours forever and ever.